All right, recording has started. Let me play the fucking play the fucking theme song. You actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast. What's up, everybody? You're listening to a brand new season of Cocaine Willie, and tonight we have our first pod that isn't a live show. Welcome to a new era of Cocaine Willie. Spotify Live may be dead, but we are still alive. We've got a brand new theme song, which you just listened to, and we've got a lot of off-season K-State football and basketball talk, and we're probably just going to shoot the shit for an hour or maybe two, depending on what happened the first time that we recorded this. Uh, we'll see what happens there, though. But all three of our hockey teams suck terribly based on the outcome of the NHL season. But as of the time we're recording this, two of our basketball teams are still playing postseason basketball, which may change within the next three hours. But we'll but we'll find out. Uh, Matt Fireball, Matt, <laughs> Chef Andre Napier, my my co-host. How are you feeling? I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> Part, d- oh, part man. good. <laughs> you said that, and I saw your face, and I just couldn't st- stop smiling. Uh, I feel yeah. great. I'm recovering after a, a nice long vacation, and uh, no, the Celtics will not win tonight. So they're going to be partying in uh, in the Bahamas very shortly. Ooh, baby, where where is it that you all can... the NBA players go to? Go Cancun, to vacation? baby. Cancun. Yeah. yeah, you'll be seeing my Lakers there, baby. Well, not my <laughs> Lakers. Let's talk about my LeBron. LeBron will be there. LeBron he failed me on <laughs> his retire his re- his retirement vacation. I hear. Yeah. Oh well, maybe I don't. Not so that. subtle. Not so subtle announcement last night when they spent 51 minutes interviewing LeBron after the Lakers got bounced <laughs> in the post game press conference. That cool. he he was a little lenient on playing with Bronny again, so. Well, I mean, he we'll only see. has to wait what two years for that to happen because Bronny's going to be a freshman next year, I think. Yeah, he'll be a freshman next yeah. year. Yeah, and he uh, he he got elevated to a five star, so you know maybe maybe he's the next best thing. I don't know. He may he may be, and uh, I'm not I'm not trying to angle or anything, but would love to would love to get a sponsorship here from Manhattan Brewing Co. It's uh, the beer of the pod for tonight. Oh, bear the pods. An eight pack of these. I was inspired by our friend Scott Wildcat at Bosco's Boys. Was inspired to bring these back with me from uh, Kansas a couple weeks ago. Very nice. But, gentlemen, uh, where do we want to start? I'm drinking water. (laughs) I mean, Matt, I I guess first and foremost, before we get into any kind of sports talk, tell us all about Trinidad. Oh, wow. Let me tell you. Indian weddings are way better than anybody, any other wedding. Oh, they're fine. It's not even any other race of people. (laughs) It's not even like a contest. Um, We drank for like four nights straight, and the food was amazing. And you know, I didn't know a lot about what was going on, but that's okay. And 
Um, you know, the, the island of Trinidad, very interesting island. Um, it's, it isn't very touristy, I would say. Um, you have to go to, I guess, the sister island of Tobago for that. But um, it's it's definitely, it. I wouldn't say it gets you out of your comfort zone a little bit, but it does. And, um, you know, it was it was a blast. Shout out to uh, Kristen and Kavita on getting married. They won't be listening. Uh, but Kristen went to UT and I did throw up a horns up at the wedding. Um, but now I'm not celebrating them anymore. So horns down. Texas sucks. Fuck Texas. <laughs> I've never, I don't even know where Trinidad Tobago is on a map. Dude, it's like, <laughs> it's not like less than 10 miles from the Venezuelan coast. Yeah, it's very close to Venezuela. Um, it's about a four-hour flight from Miami, um, which I did yesterday, and then I flew back to Kansas City today. Um, but yeah, and uh, they love their fried chicken there. The airport has five places you can get fried chicken in Port of Spain. KFC, churches. I'm sure we could have a conversation in this pod about what is the best oh. fried chicken, but Popeyes. I mean, Popeyes is Popeyes is top tier. When I went on my uh, honeymoon in White House, Jamaica, when we landed, there was like a three-story KFC. It was insane. I've never seen anything like that. It's like, what? Yeah. What, what are you doing on the third floor? What do they do on that one? I mean, the second floor story I could see maybe, but what's the third floor for? I don't get it. But it's the it's the play place, right? <laughs> It's where the kids play on the third floor. What I saw from just to go on your honeymoon. Well, (laughs) you know that was just the first side of it, but I mean, we kind of drove through the mountains and then ran into some armed guards onto the nice little resort that we were staying at. But AK-47s outside of the the gated community of a resort was that was top tier. Made me feel right at home. Yeah, that only sounds a little bit frightening. (laughs) It was awesome. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, we could, we could definitely talk about fried chicken places. If I, if I, if I had to pick a top tier, I mean, mm. I mean, there are a lot of really good local places too, if I'm being honest. When we were in Nashville for that Vanderbilt awful fucking terrible game in what, 2017, we went yeah. to, uh, Hattie B's. That was we solid. We did go to Hattie B's. Hattie B's was solid. I think for the, for the to make it more generalized for the the listening public, let's keep it the regional because I mean I don't have oh, yeah. in Ohio there's really not anything that you wouldn't be able to find like anywhere else in the country. You have your raisin canes, that's top tier to me. I I think raisin canes is top tier. I love canes. Canes is canes least, is good. Canes is good. The sauce and you know the the secret to raisin canes. If you say get two toasts over the slot. No, no, no. That's <laughs> obvious. That's obvious. I'm talking about why their chicken is quality. What, do they, they double it. it or something? They undercook it. Oh. Oh, good. Instead of, <laughs> instead of the 165 that you're, like, recommended to cook chicken to, they cook it to 155. Keep it that moistness. The moistness. I will say when I cook chicken, I generally cook it to 160 and then let it let it do the rest as a carryover. It's pretty, it's pretty juicy still. Yeah. I mean, but it, that's just raisin cane secret. You know, they set their fryers three, three twenty five, internal temperature, one fifty five. throw it in there. No seasoning, which is insane. 
no seasoning, no salt, no pepper, and they just give you the sauce. Obviously, you go double double bread, no slaw. Get that shit out of here. I mean, how many how many canes tenders can you go through? Mm. I try to limit myself these days, but man, <laughs> yeah, I can tell by your arms. <laughs> <laughs> try to limit yourself these days. To what? To what? One piece of chicken a day. Chicken diagnosis. <laughs> uh, I, I could gotta enjoy through, life. I could probably run through. I could do like a twenty piece for sure. If I had to. Oh, yeah. Just no, tendies? No, no way. In one sitting? Are you kidding? Why couldn't you? With They're, sauce? Yeah. You have to. Oh, you don't put these bland-ass tendies in your mouth? I mean, dude, the sauce, the sauce, that adds some substance to the, to the chicken tenders. Not that much. No, I couldn't do 20 tendies and then bread on the side. It has to just solely be tendies. What's your stance on dipping the toast in the cane sauce? I don't know if I've ever done that. I like to get, because I do double toast, I like to make the sandwich that, you know, you, you can order. I make that with the, put the layer of fries, layer of tendies, bread, sauce on top of that, and goes down the throat. But I could, I could clearly do, easily, easily 20 tendies okay. in the city. Is Chick-fil-A considered a chicken place? Is Chick Fil A yeah. the same realm? Okay, well yeah, then Chick Fil A wins, despite their despite their religious beliefs. I don't. The yeah, I have the chicken is good. The chicken is all right. I literally had it last night. It's great. It's not. It's not top tier though. I had KFC in Trinidad and I had Chick Fil A in Miami, like a a, a worldwide smorgasbord of chicken. If we're just Last doing night. chicken in a in a in a chain form, it's got to be Popeyes is number one. Popeyes is my favorite. Popeyes, Popeyes is, is my favorite. Popeyes is my favorite, hands down. Consensus, that is the brand, the chicken brand of Cocaine Willie the podcast. Popeyes, your number one chicken source. No free ads. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, dude, when they came out, when they came out with that sandwich, that sandwich a, is a religious game. experience for me. And and it, it forced everybody else to do these sandwiches. Honestly, I think McDonald's has a pretty good spicy chicken sandwich. The thing that sucks about McDonald's spiky the new spicy McChicken or whatever, the chicken McSpicy, I forgot what they called it, but they came up with a name for it, but it was just like the spicy chicken sandwich. That is hit or miss depending on the location of McDonald's that you go to. Mm. But if you go to a good McDonald's location, that sandwich hits very hard. That's very good shit. See, I was a traditional, you know, the the one dollar McChicken sandwich kind of guy growing up. Like you have to get just get like six of those at a time and just pig out on just McChickens. But you know, underrated chicken sandwich, Burger King, the long boy. You know the long boy. <laughs> oh, yes. Give me Dude, the when they, when they I just lost all credibility lost all credibility and they came out with their with their version of the spicy chicken sandwich like the Popeye's sandwich i had the shits for the entire rest of the night after that is part of the experience you have to have that it was listen the not- shredded lettuce on a sesame seed long hoagie bun with some synthetic i don't even know what you call it chicken disc <laughs> with <laughs> oh my god it is that is perfect. I I love those. 
that's my you just you are not chef to me anymore you're not <laughs> that's my guilty pleasure <laughs> can't do it can't do it last last thing i will say on this topic chicken nuggets yes favorite chicken Chick-fil-A. nuggets <laughs> no uh, no yeah. no mcdonald's 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 no dude wendy's wendy's ghost pepper chicken nuggets wendy's is Very wendy's good. is good if we're talking brand like man it's so hard to choose so yet again you know i go back to that synthetic chicken give me some chicken fries <laughs> just watching that spicy chicken fries or just the regular ones <laughs> any chicken fry give me a chicken fry baby <laughs> yeah. yeah you i you can gladly have all the chicken fries in the entire world you can gladly have them the only the only thing that Burger King has is that zesty sauce, which they don't even have anymore. I don't think I that was the saving so. grace. Is that like that cowboy sauce or whatever? It's like the horseradish based sauce. That shit was yeah. good on everything. Yeah, I think they they've got something similar at uh, Red Robin. Ironically enough, I went to a Red Robin like three years ago because they were a customer of mine for work and got their like campfire sauce or whatever. Mm. Pretty solid. It's, sim- it's almost more similar to Chick-fil-A sauce, though, now that I think about it. It's almost like Red that barbecue mix. We're going to – this whole podcast is going to be us talking about food because, I swear <laughs> to God, everything you say, I will go down a tangent on. I, on that note, let's, me. let's just get into the football talk. Um, we talked about this last week. For those of you who don't know, I'm just going to set the table here. We recorded an entire two-hour episode last Tuesday and lost all of the audio. So we are re-recording. We've already gone through every single one of these topics with the exception of the chicken topic, which we didn't talk about last week. Um, we also had a like a 20-minute discussion on the NHL and NBA playoffs, which was an incredibly fun conversation, but it's all lost forever. Thanks to Google Meet. Uh, so this is a you know free ad for don't buy Google Meet. Um, we're using StreamYard for this, so we'll see how this goes. But uh First football topic is Kleiman's extension is officially official. He was extended through 2030 with a 5.5 million base salary. That puts him for fourth in the Big 12 among the public institutions, not the private ones who do not disclose those contracts. We can make some assumptions or some conclusions about what those salaries are. But this puts him behind uh, this shoot. This puts him in fourth in the new or the old Big 12, old Big 12, new Big 12. This puts him in fourth. He's behind Gundy, Sark, and Venables. And in the new Big 12, he is only behind Mike Gundy. So that puts him in second in the new Big 12, which is awesome. Let's have the same discussion again. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts on the extension uh, for Kleiman? And I'll ask the second question later because I'm not going to do the uh, the classic two-part question. Chef. I love a good two-part question. But Kleiman, the contract is, is well-deserved. The years, perfect for me, gets him through his prime years at K-State, maybe even a lifer at K-State. We'll see if how the contract shakes out towards the back end of it. If we're having more major success, does he get another extension through his later years in his career? But for right now, this contract is perfect. I saw similar right after we talked, there were some you know, some more dialogue on the contract about buyouts and stuff like that. It is a very, very small buyout, 
which is fine because I think he is tied to the hip to Gene Taylor, which is fine for K-State, fine for climbing. He gets what he wants. He gets the money that is deserved to him. It's it's a win 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 for everybody. I'm I'm happy for the boy. I'm happy for his assistants. I like how he worked those deals out before he got his own. Everything is copacetic on K State's end, and I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with everything you said. It 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 is great to get him locked down um, at a a good premium, I would say, um, for what he deserves, what he's been able to do in his time here. Outside of the COVID year, it's very safe to say that he's put this program on a really strong trajectory. Um, And, of course, winning the Big 12 is one of those ultimate goals that you want to see that your program hit. But the important thing is it just shows confidence in what he's been able to put together, what he's been able to build with this program and the coaching staff that he's been able to assemble here. Um, they believe in him and what he wants to do. And Kleiman believes in the staff that he's brought on to, to do their job as well. Um, you know, 2026, who knows what the landscape of college football is going to be at that point. Um, who knows what the Big 12 is going to look like. Uh, there's a lot of things up in the air. Um, so having stability, at least internally with your own program, uh, is key so that when you go through with some of the realignment pieces that might come up, you know that hey, you have a football coach that's here, that's ready to build no matter what and play whoever, whatever teams are going to be in this conference. Um, so there's definitely some excitement there. It'll be very interesting to see four years from now where we're at. Uh, but it's a well-deserved, of course, uh, raise for him and, and for his coaching staff as well. I think, like you were saying, the landscape of where everything's going to be at, because once you get UT and OU out of here and – Gundy, let's be honest, he's probably past his uh, twilight of his coaching career. He's towards the back end of it. Once he's gone, will that make Chris Kleiman the number one paid coach in the Big 12? You know, there's there's excellent football coaches in this conference, especially because you got to think of what West Virginia is probably going to do with their coaching search. You've got uh, Gus Malzahn coming in, too. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of names coming in that are proven winners now will these will these programs that are in this new big 12 pony up dough to make him to not make chris climbing the number one paid obviously you have the private schools i think who the hell knows what tcu is paying who the hell knows what baylor's paying but as of right now the public institutions he's he might be number one once gundy walks out the door where will that – if that's the case and he's number one, are we happy with the deal? Because, I mean, the we won't have the pressure as a university to keep anting up our coach's salary to be with the baseline that college football is at. I, I think it's a great deal, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, one of the things that was interesting was – to your point, Chef, you mentioned some of the dialogue that's happened after we had our discussion last week, which was all lost. Uh, one of the things that was interesting is if school president Richard Linton or athletic director Gene Taylor is no longer employed at K-State, Kleiman may terminate his contract for just $1 million at any point before his buyout drops to zero. What were your thoughts 
on that clause because that is a fairly interesting clause. I can't say I've ever seen that before, but would love to hear your thoughts as Chef puts on some uh, some great sunglasses. Oh my God. Um, now I'm like, I didn't even know what I was going to say. Uh, it, it is interesting. Uh, it shows a, a little bit of being tied to the hip, it seems like. Um, I'm not expecting Gene Taylor is going to go everywhere, anywhere. You would anticipate that if Gene Taylor was going to go somewhere, he's going to be retiring, sitting on the front porch, enjoying retirement. Is he um, a Bud Light guy or a Miller Light guy? I forget. He's a Bud Light guy. That's Bud Light, yeah. that's been well established by the Bosco's yeah. boys. You know, there we go. Throwing okay. the brews back, <clears throat> or maybe he likes Manhattan Brewing Company. Hashtag no free ads. Um. Anyway, so it. It, it does seem like they're tied to the hip and that makes sense. Uh, it is, it is a, an interesting part of that contract because you know, if one of them leaves, who knows, maybe the, the ball is going to be in a lot of other schools court. If coach Kleiman decides, Hey, I want to go somewhere else. Um, you know, I want to try and build a program, you know, somewhere else. Uh, who knows what that program might be. Uh, we did discuss a little bit last week about some programs that you can see, you know, him maybe being a good fit at. But again, the realignment talk in 2026, is, you know, what we're expecting the Big Ten to be or the SEC to be, it there's just so many unknowns. Uh, somebody, a coach could go to the Big Ten thinking, oh, we're going to be in the top, you know, the perceived the, one of the biggest conferences. But if you're playing for or, you know, you're coaching for a team that doesn't have a good program right now, it's going to be a lot harder to build that program in a bigger conference like that, especially with some of these other schools coming through. So um, it's interesting that buyout, I'm not necessarily concerned, uh, at least right now. Um, we'll see down the line, but who knows? And to I... your point on who knows what the landscape will look like, we don't even have a finalized Big Ten TV agreement, this big, massive TV agreement that they talked about. We'll talk about this later, but we don't even know what the landscape looks like three months from now, let alone three years from now. So, uh, Chef, sorry to cut you off there. No, you're fine. I, I'm thinking with that buyout and, you know, obviously he is a gene guy. I was a little surprised that he had that in his buyout for the buyout clause for the president of the school, seeing how he's kind of new. He kind of came in, what was that, two years ago? I think last year, right? Last year or two years ago, yeah. Last, last year. year. You might be right. And I was a little surprised by that, but I think it's more or less, in my opinion, if, if the buyout doesn't mean necessarily that your, your contract is terminated, that contract is terminated, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have to leave. It kind of just means that he can renegotiate his contract again. So if a new AD comes in that's not Gene and he can buy out of that contract but sit down at the table with that new AD on a different deal and maybe renegotiate his deal again and see if he wants to cooperate with this new AD under a different deal. That's kind of what my head is at because I think he's kind of invested in the university he is tied to Gene, but I think he's invested in this university. But if an AD is, were to come in that isn't Gene, then he might want to sit down and like maybe have his options open instead of being tied down to 
Kansas State and an AD that he's not comfortable with. That's just where my head is. And I would imagine that if a, a new AD were to come in, that he sits down, negotiates, maybe this guy is credible and he stays and does a new restructured contract. Because let's be honest, how how many more years does Gene have in him? Maybe four or five? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Hopefully forever. You make it seem like he wouldn't be at the table figuring out who the next AD is also. So, True. Yeah, right. you know, I think, yeah, that, you're right. I think that there, there's definitely something there as well. Like Gene Taylor retires. Chris Kleiman's definitely in the room having conversations about who he thinks might be good. Maybe it's somebody internally you want to keep things going that way. So, right. um, I, yeah, that's why I'm not necessarily too, too concerned about it at the point. Maybe it's Laird Veach. Who knows? A guy that, that Matt Marchesini and I know, have, have met uh, personally. But uh, last, last thing that I have yeah. on this is, do you think Chris Kleiman will leave after his contract to retire? Or do you think that this contract is it, he stays at K-State, or he bounces, goes to another job? I honestly think he's a lifer at K-State. I think he's invested in the university. This is his fit. You know, Nebraska came calling this, this year, you know, offered him the bag. He took less money to stay at a university that he's comfortable with, an AD that he's comfortable with. I think by, when did, we, when did this contract end? 2030. 2030. 2030. He'll be in his mid-60s or early 60s. He might have some more wear on the tire. Would I be after after tw- when it's twenty thirty? Would I be upset that he went and tried to start over somewhere? Probably not. I would. I would miss him, but you know who knows what who knows what the future future holds and where he would even go. So, in my opinion, I think he's a lifer at K State. Maybe gets one more renegotiated contract and rides off into the sunset. Um. It's hard. I, the landscape of, uh, I would say the coaching piece of the puzzle and like the coaching carousel just changes so dramatically every year. And you just never know what type of job might open up that could put it, put him in a position where he actually has to decide if he wants to stay K-State or not. Everybody obviously talks about Iowa, um, you know, as being one of those places, but, um, it, it is hard for me to say that he's a lifer because I've seen – we've seen some of the K-State coaches here um, in even my lifetime where, um, you know, I, I Frank Martin's probably a terrible example, but, you know, he's a guy that I thought was going to be with K-State for a while, ends up being in a situation where that's not the case and he's gone. Um, again, I'm not saying – I feel like the athletic department is run so much more smoothly than it was back then. So I don't think that's going to be a problem, but you never know a school, any school could literally bring up, you know, a Brinks truck, Brinks truck of money and say, we want you to coach. Um, But I also truly believe that our alumni and and the supporters of the program, if we're in a position where we have to do the same thing, our program, our people would help with that to make sure that Chris Kleiman stays. So I'm more apt to say he's going to live this contract out fully um, to what it is, uh, maybe even stay longer than that, but we'll see. 
We'll certainly see. I hope he stays here forever. Uh, but if, if Iowa came calling and they decided to finally fire Kirk or Brian Ferentz or both at some point, we'll see what happens. Uh, that do you be, think, do you think Iowa has, do you think Iowa has more bags to give Kirk, uh, Chris Kleiman than, uh, Nebraska did? That's a good question. That's a good I think, it, I think they threw the bag at Chris Kleiman. He rejected it, took five and a half million instead of nine. Or or eight and a half, or however much they offered him, because it had to be substantial. Because, uh, what's his name? Who's who's their coach now? He was at Baylor. Roll. Matt Rule. Matt Rule. He, I mean, he's at what eight million dollars a year? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean that's. Again. He was obviously their first option. Then he backed off, and then Chris Kleiman was the second option. Then he came back, but. I think he's already been offered the bag, so I'm not too worried about that. I think it's more – I don't know. I think it is the AD thing, and I'm, I'm just not convinced that the bag is going to lure him away. I think I – just, I just think he's a K-State lifer, man. I'm going to pump sunshine. I've had two and a half head coaches in my entire life at, in, at Kansas State, so I can't for the life of me say that we don't have the ability to keep a head coach forever. That is worth the yeah. salt. Yeah, that is. I'd, li- that I'd is like crazy. to know how that calculate. How does that calculation work? Two and Ron half. Prince is a half. Ron Prince is a half to me. Ron Prince is a half. Yo, yeah, but he brought Ron us Prince to a bowl game, and we beat Texas Ooh. what three times? Twice. Twice. <laughs> well, that's Twice. that's defending important. Champs. Defending champs, that's, Texas. But he also <laughs> lost to KU. So. Yes, he lost oh. to KU three times. Right, Lord have mercy. Beat Texas that can't twice. Happen. Colt McCoy. That can't Colt McCoy twice. No, I can't have that. So he's two and a half. That's two and a half head coaches in my entire life. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with the statistical probability of what <laughs> what K State's uh, trend is, and that's and, life for head coaches. And on the topic of statistical probabilities or improbabilities. Every single K-Stater that was in the NFL draft was drafted by their hometown team. I'll go through the picks real quick. We can have whatever quick, brief stint on it that we want, and then we'll move on. We, we had a lot of conversation about this last week, but I feel like it's kind of played out at this point, But so we'll just briefly touch on it. Felix and DK Uzama was picked by the Chiefs, round one, pick 31. Position of need for the Chiefs, great pick, I think, hometown kid. Grew up in, in Kansas City, obviously. Picked by the team. Great stuff. Julius Brents, Colts, round two, pick 44. Great pick for the Colts. Awesome. No, no commentary there. Josh Hayes, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, round six, pick 181. Another hometown guy going to his hometown team. And then last but not least, Deuce Vaughn, Cowboys, round six, pick two, 12, picked by his dad in one of the coolest, most emotional moments of the entire NFL draft, one of the most viral moments of the NFL draft. What are your thoughts on those guys getting drafted by these each respective team and any other, you know, just whatever thoughts you have, go for it. I can start. Uh, the Felix pick is very much, uh, it's a very fun pick for, I would say, a majority of the K-State fan base. Um, it was great seeing, obviously, a Kansas City guy get drafted in Kansas City by Kansas City. The story is 
mind blowing. Um, but it makes it, it makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs, uh, I, I would say, and I think he's going to fit in really well there, um, especially with a, a a strong coaching staff uh, who will really help kind of get his mind ready, knowing that you're playing for a championship quality team right from the beginning. Um, Julius Brents at Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a team that they have a new head coach this year. Um, their head coach is more of an offensive guy. And so kind of, uh, you know, being in a position where you can kind of show your stuff early on with new coaching staff, um, especially in Indianapolis, who's trying to kind of revitalize, um, will be very important. Um, Josh Hayes, I don't have too, too much to say about Josh, but it's great that he was able to get drafted and really shows that the kind of transfer portal for us and, and guys coming from other programs and, and <clears throat> really getting their career, um, in check at Kansas state. It's a great, great marketing tool that we can use. Um, I won't leave too much about Deuce Vaughn because everybody's seen it. Um, I'd love to hear chef's thoughts about uh, Deuce Vaughn being drafted in the seventh round because um, he was kind of on a, on a meltdown during the draft, but, um, but yeah, it, it's great to obviously see all these K-State guys um, be drafted shows what kind of development our coaching staff does to getting them in the, in the right mindset to be in the NFL. Listen, you're not going to get me to apologize twice for Deuce Vaughn. All right. You've got, you've got your one. I'm not going to do it again. I might have spazzed a little bit. I might have, you know, jumped the gun. But Deuce Vaughn is a cowboy. I mean, how cool is that? You know, it is America's team. He's going to be potentially a third down back for the Cowboys. It was cool seeing him for the rookie shoot, you know, wearing that horrendously ugly 42. But the boy will change his number eventually, and he'll, he'll be a fan favorite for – football fans not just not just you know Dallas Cowboy fans I think my biggest takeaway from the draft obviously the hometown aspect but you know the teams that they went to they can make impacts I I would assume early so I'm just happy for those K-Staters we got a first rounder which is really cool just for the brand of K-State we can just keep that train going and even you know, the kids that weren't drafted, fucking hell, Echo Boydo, Chief, you know, Adrian, Adrian's with the Lions now. Let's make some moves. You know, that they're not too, uh, I, I guess they did draft a quarterback too, but, you know, let's just battle, Adrian. Let's get after it, baby. I, I'm just happy for all of those K-Staters and uh, it's building the brand, you know, he, Uh oh. Are you still with me, Matt? I'm here. We got a frozen chef. Yeah, it's because his takes are so cold. Am I right? <laughs> am I back? I'll give you props, Matt. <laughs> am I back? Yeah. Back. So. <laughs> oh lord, where did I? Yo, did you I just got that? you just got roasted. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Yo. I'm the expert in roasting, not the chef. We can get into a roast that's, battle that's real quick like, if you want. That's like three zingers back to back. I'll give you that. I didn't even hear any of them. Yeah, that's exactly. Sounds like you have to listen to the podcast, which we'll post tomorrow. 
<laughs> I will be listening. I'll listen to it seven times. Rack up those listens, baby. Rack up those listens. Uh, I love, I love the commentary. I think next. So we've seen the over unders for K State football. They've come out. We we see the over under about like eight and a half. Uh, for this season, eight and a half wins. Obviously, a lot of moving parts with this in the conference. We've got Oklahoma's got a super soft schedule. I think Texas only leaves the state of Texas like one or two times the entire time. Uh, and one of those is to go to Alabama to to lose to Alabama. Uh, what is your way too early prediction based on spring ball, based on some of the new conference stuff? What's your way too early prediction for where K-State lands this season? I'll go first, and hopefully I won't freeze. Uh, my where I think I think eight and a half is a really really good number. Outside our damn, I don't know our out of conference schedule scares me a little bit. You know, Troy scares me a tidbit. My dad's alma mater, um, and then man, Missouri at Missouri, sneaky game. But once we get through that. We got two of the week. I mean, we got two of the the newcomers. Our first home game is versus UCF, which I think they were the highest of all the newcomers in over 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 under win total at six and a half. So they're going to be a they're they're projecting them to be a near bowl team, but we get them at home. So I think it's I think I think we'll be fine. I think our schedule lays out where we do get Texas, but man, if we can, if we could skate by with just, you know, two losses, I would be, I would be really, really happy with just a two loss uh, season. And honestly, I think a, a nine and three, 10 to two is kind of where we sh- should be at all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, we can get into a debate about that, but um, the, you said the games that scare me. I, I, I don't think Missouri's a great team, but you go on the road and it's an environment. We haven't played Mizzou in such a long time in Columbia that ultimately that's going to be a game that, that gets their fan base fired up. Um, I'm sure we'll have a great turnout there as well. Troy is a scary one. Um, some Tulane vibes there. But at Texas in the Big, in Big 12 play is, pro, is the hardest game that we have. Um, I'm very. I, I feel good. Not that that's a hard place to play or anything, because really, it's not. It's like walking into a church. I mean, it's it's not, but we haven't won there in a in a long time. Um, so I I think ten and two. I I feel very good about a ten and two. Um, I think the offense is going to really have a good season. I think Will will have an all Big Twelve caliber year. Um, really developing as a starter. I like our wide receiver core here. Um, I think Keegan Johnson is going to play a huge role in that. Obviously, Ben Sinnott. Um, you're losing Deuce Vaughn, but DJ Giddens had a really great year. Treshawn Ward. The defense is going to be, for me, the, the key is how do we replace some key guys on defense. Um, but I have a lot of confidence in, in, in our staff. So I think 10-2. I think we're going back to the to the Big 12 championship. I ben really do. Ben Sinnott, another offensive piece that's returning. 
Um, yeah. Another guy that you mentioned, I think last year on the Bosco's boys live show preseason extravaganza was Jaden Jackson. That's another guy we haven't seen a whole lot of as a ton of talent. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of minutes he gets this year. And I mean, RJ Garcia is a guy that we saw some really great flashes of in the big 12 conference championship game that we didn't see a ton during the regular season. So I would love to see how he comes in and, and fits into this offense, knowing that we have Philip Ricks returning and there's going to be some, there's going to be some room for someone to kind of step up and take more of that in Malik Knowles role, whether it's Keegan Johnson or, or whoever we've got room for a guy to be that second or third option on offense. So that's going to be really interesting. I think, I think 10 and two is great. I would love to see that. I might be thinking more nine and three, but I, I just don't really know. I, I think there are a lot of unknowns, especially on defense, but to go back to last year, one of the biggest question marks was on defense and, and the linebacking core and some of the defensive backs. So if we've got the Clandy man and we know what the Clandy man can do, he's done a great job with taking some of those question marks and turning those after one or two games into, that's not a question. That is a, that is a solid core, regardless of who we're playing. And, and he, he up levels those guys really, really well. Honestly, I, I mean, it was the, it, that was the story last year. Like you said, I mean, that was, what are we, what are we going to get from linebacker? You know, obviously Daniel green, Austin Moore, two studs. And, but we've added depth behind those linebackers. It's going to be, it's going to be a sight to see. I mean, we're going to have talent out the wazoo. Then defensive backs, we know what we can do. Like you said, the Clandy man, he brings in talent at safety and at defensive back and makes them shine. That transfer portal rotation that we got in of guys coming in to start and be playmakers in the back half is we've seen it. So we cannot, I cannot doubt it. I don't, I can't speak for you guys, but I cannot doubt what is possibly going to happen in that defensive back room because VJ Payne looks like an absolute missile. Uh, Siegel, he looks, he, I mean, from what we saw at North Dakota State, he gives me a lot of an advanced Drake Cheatham. I think that is, and if Kobe Savage can come back from his injury healthy and strong, we'll, our defensive backs, I have no, no doubt about them. I want to. I want to get before you guys break down the roster a little bit more. I want to give my little hot take on the schedule. What I think is going to happen. So, what I what I predict because it's happened basically every year in the Big Twelve Championship game is is new teams. But I got a different twist on it. I think it's going to be teams that didn't see each other in the regular season will see each other in the Big Twelve Championship game, which I think is going to be a whole new twist because. Like we like we've seen in the Big Twelve for how many years now? It's round, round robin. Everybody plays everybody, but I think now that we've got some gaps in our schedule, we're gonna see two teams that haven't played each other in the Big Twelve championship game. So are we predicting maybe like a K State Oklahoma potentially? That's what I was thinking. That down, I was think that is exactly where I was gonna go. I was gonna go Oklahoma because I think they're gonna try to rebound and. We all know what Texas does. When they're the hype machine, that machine usually breaks down. So if we can sneak on Texas and pass them up, I think Oklahoma, like you said, they've got a pillowy soft schedule. I think it could be Oklahoma versus K-State in the Big 12 championship game. 
Mm-mm. No. Your takes are cold. Burnt Veg is going on. Cold. It's gonna be, I, I think it's going to be another bad year in Norman. Burnt vegetables. Uh, and really? I, real quick, real quick, I do want to hear. So we we just got another commitment. What yesterday, two days ago, from uh, from Daniel Cobbs from Tyler JCC oh, okay. Tyler Community that. College. So he's we're adding to that Tyler Community College pipeline that saw Kobe Savage last year as well. What were your thoughts on him? He's at that safety position. I think he's he's being recruited as an athlete, so he can maybe be a little bit more versatile, play both cornerback or safety. I, I, I'm not totally sure. I don't know a ton about him, but I'm not sure. You know, what were your thoughts on him, knowing that we've we've added from that that pipeline before and had success in a guy in Kobe Savage? What were your thoughts on on Cobb's commitment this week? This week, I think, right, two days ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there, we've got two. We actually had two pledges um, in football very recently. Two on the same day. Uh, for him, he's a guy that can, that has four years to play three, right? Yeah, four years to play three. So I think he's kind of coming in as a a, a project. Not necessarily that he's unskillful and they have to work on him. I think he's got a lot of skill, but he just needs a lot of seasoning at this level because he went straight juco juco to us so he's not a bounce back or anything like that so seeing him at practice i think this is going to be the year that he's going to red shirt he's got a lot of talent very big six foot three kid very big it's going to be exciting to see him but i don't think he's necessarily the the guy that's going to play Uh-oh. other kid to his name he's probably project- are you kidding me <laughs> don't tell me again are you guys fucking with me no we lost you again we had we had robo chef for about 15 20 seconds there shut up are you kidding no you're you're back now but it's kind of spotty are you on wi-fi i'm off of wi-fi because i well, i got kicked off last time Am I still RoboCop? Your video is, but the video doesn't matter. As long as we can hear you, that's all that matters. <laughs> this sucks. Somebody take well, over. Well, fireball that is crystal clear. Yo, Whatever. crystal clear. Crystal clear, as always. You're clear now. Yeah, You're clear now. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny is uh, I am crystal clear, but I've been gone, you know? So uh, I just read DY's five things about Daniel Cobbs sounds like a great pickup uh, but no it does sound like he uh is going to be a little bit more of a move for 2024 um so <clears throat> at least bringing depth on our side um you know for 2023 because i i do think our secondary is going to be strong um this upcoming season um because we brought in some good good talent um and getting kobe savage back will be huge as well but um but yeah i at the, at the end of the day, it's always good to try and bring in some good secondary talent because you just never know with injuries and, and whatnot, who's going to have to get out on the field. Um, you know, we saw that with, uh, you know, Keenan Garber uh, in the Big 12 championship game. So it's definitely going to be important. That's a great um, point. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have an entire spring of reps in the defensive backfield. That's going to be that's going to be massive. I, I keep yeah. forgetting about that. Are we? Did we bring up Will Lee just now? 
Uh, we brought up Keenan Garver, but Will Lee, also another great transfer portal addition. The dude was being... I think he's going to be the starter. Yeah, for sure. I think and we've got Marcus Siegel as well. Yeah, Siegel. I mean, the in my projected backfield, it would be Will Lee, Parrish, Siegel, Payne, and Savage. Those would be my, my starting five, but obviously we do so much rotation back there that who, those names can be jumbled and who knows who's getting more snaps. You never know. So my next beer of the pod, because we discussed it with our, our good friend, Robbie Triano, the Labatt blue. Robbie. Triano, Canada. Let's go. Dude. I love this stuff. This stuff is incredible. Labatt blue. Robbie yeah, Triano. Labatt. Killer Pilsner. Robbie Triano leaving the Big 12. He's he's no longer going to be our Big what? 12 guy. Did you not really? see that news? No. Yeah. He's moving to Chicago and he's looking for a job, but he's no longer on uh, Big 12, the, the Big 12 beat anymore. So You're kidding me. R.I.P. Triano. Maybe we can he's still no, get him on as a guest. He's no longer pandering to Kansas State anymore. <laughs> I want to get him on the show now because I think I feel like maybe he'll be even more unfiltered. I mean, and he was he was already unfiltered. It was pretty unfiltered already. <laughs> well, you heard oh. it here first. We're gonna we're gonna have Robbie Triano on at some point to uh, to lament the Big Twelve and and no longer be part of no no longer being part of the Big Twelve beat. Unfortunately, dang. I, I mean, that's a bummer. But best of luck to him, and hopefully, he has a a great next step, whatever that is. All right, so that will do it, I think, pretty much for football talk. I, I don't really – I mean, we talked a little bit about the portal there, so we, we don't need to talk about the guys that we've lost because um, there's not a whole lot to talk about there. So on the hoop side of the aisle, we've got the NBA draft process going for Naquan Tomlin, Marquise Noel, and Keontae Johnson. We can talk about whatever we want to talk about here. I think some of the main takeaways are Naquan Tomlin was really quiet in his announcement for the NBA draft. I think it was in Charlotte this week, if I'm not mistaken. I saw some pictures from Charlotte. He's working out with the team there. I would not be surprised if he comes back because isn't the deadline here in about a week that that players have to withdraw from the process and then return to their respective school? The 31st. 31st. So we've got, we've got, you know, seven, eight days by the time you're listening to this um, or I guess six or seven days rather. So going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Keontae Johnson, he's being projected for the second round ish right now. He announced to Andy Katz, I think last week as well, that he does not intend to come back to college, even though his announcement for the NBA draft kind of made the waters a little murkier there in that he was, saying he would maintain his eligibility, which he would still have to apply for a waiver for. So that was interesting. And then Marquise Noel, he was part of the G League combine or whatever whatever they called it last week as well. And he was, not, even though he had some really dazzling plays, had a great showing there, was not invited to the broader NBA combine as a result of that experience, I think primarily due to his height, unfortunately, but he really did show out and, and showed up for that. And I think, Regardless of where Marquise lands, he's going to do a great job. I, I think he's going to be a great player in Europe or Israel or Australia or New Zealand, wherever he does end up. 
but you know, it is, it is still a bummer to think that even, even in the NBA, he's not going to have an opportunity primarily because of his height, but those are kind of the main notes as far as the NBA draft process is concerned for those three guys. Any other thoughts on, on those three guys specifically what, as it relates to the NBA draft process and we'll go from there. Um, I, I agree with you about Marquise. Um, he's going to, he's going to be a guy who's going to play a lot um, or a long time. He'll have a good career. Um, I don't necessarily, I, it's hard because the G league has become a lot stronger in the past three years, right. With overtime elite and, um, and te- you know, we have younger guys who are bypassing college and playing. So the talent level in the G league has, I, I feel like gotten better, but ultimately where you make your money, if you're not in the NBA is overseas. Um, and so I think he's going to be he's going to be a long play, long time player in, in Europe. Um, I anticipate we're going to see Naquan Tomlin come back. I'm not necessarily concerned about that, just because I do think a year in college is going to do a lot of wonders for him, and just developing his game and and getting a little bit more in the weight room and expanding some of his offensive skills um, to be a top player in the Big Twelve. Keontae is an interesting one because. Uh, I've always felt, yeah, he was going to go professional. Um, mock drafts have been been all over the place for him. Uh, in the second round, I've seen uh, uh, for the Celtics. I've seen him for San Antonio. Um, he's kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, is, <laughs> is there still a glimmer of hope? I don't know. I mean, I, I just wonder if you get to the 31st and – you're getting some feedback from teams and teams aren't necessarily going to clear you or things along those lines. You know, you're, does he, does he make a decision? Um, I think he's just trying to keep a lot of things, his cards close to his chest on that one. Um, I'm not anticipating he's going to come back, but you just never know. Um, you got about a week to go. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, the three guys, um, those are, those are kind of my thoughts on them. Those are those are the thoughts that I have as well. I can't vary on anything like you guys haven't covered with Marquise and Naquan. I think obviously Naquan is going to be a cornerstone piece for this team next year. Then Marquise, he the height man, it, it just nothing he can do about that. He's got all the skill in the world, but it's just not going to be able to translate in their opinion in NBA people's minds that he'd be able to do it in the NBA. But Keontae, like you guys are saying, what he said to Andy Katz is if he couldn't be cleared, if he if he's cleared, he's not coming back, obviously. I think he'll keep his name. But if he is it an NBA thing that he's got to clear, or is it a team-by-team team kind of thing similar to what happened in college? Like the NCAA doesn't have any choice in if he's cleared or not. It's team-by-team. Team. And is it – if the Spurs clear him and they want him, they can get him even if the so-called NBA doesn't clear him. Is that does that make sense? Or is that what we're kind of going on? Because if if he's cleared by one team, that's all it takes. I think in his mind he's gone. But if nobody clears him, because he couldn't even participate for the combine because physically, because of 
nobody would clear him. So if he nobody's clearing him, I think there is a chance that he comes back. I think that's why he left that asterisk in his, uh, you know, his message to K-State fans. So I don't know. I think it's my bar has definitely lowered <laughs> on him coming back, uh, coming back, but I, it's not zero in my opinion. It is non-zero. I mean, based on based on the announcement alone, it is a non-zero chance by definition. But I just don't see it happening. I think I think he will get up, end up getting drafted. But we'll see what happens. There's there's a lot of things that could come into play there. There are a lot of teams that could be interested or not interested. It depends on his medical eligibility and and if a team clears him or not. So and and then my mind obviously goes to I I thought about this a lot when. We were going through the March Madness selection process and, and where we would end up. And if K-State were to end up in Denver, I always had the concern, like, what's is Keontae going to play? Is he going to play as well because of the altitude and, and the effects that that can have on cardio and respiratory and stuff like that? So there are a lot of factors that go into it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, as far as the transfer portal is concerned, uh, we've got two guys who are out uh, and I – updated this last week so i don't know if anthony thomas has found a destination yet i need to do he that did. research where did he go he did. northwestern northeastern state northeastern state uh, so the horniest man on earth to ever play basketball for k-state <laughs> has ended up in northeastern state and then ish masood is going to georgetown so i i think i called that uh, he's going big east which which makes sense it's going to be a good fit for him uh, geographically he knows the Eastern seaboard well, and it's going to be a lot closer to home than, uh, than Manhattan, Kansas was. And then Tyler Perry, we brought in from North Texas, which was a great pickup in the transfer portal. He was, I think at that point in time, uh, the second best player available in the portal. Correct. Uh, according to the athletic. Yes. Which is fantastic. Uh, yeah. I mean, the kid can ball and I'll let you get to your thoughts, but you know, those transfer portal rankings, it could be all over the map and totally on the vendor yeah Yeah. and it it, if if the coaching staff values him i value him because we saw what happened last year with guys like desi being ranked like maybe in into the hundreds of the transfer portal rankings in some places It, it just all depends and i i trust the coaching staff wholeheartedly if they think Tyler Perry's the guy, Tyler Perry is a dude. Dude. He's a dude. <laughs> he is a dude. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I was a little – I'm going to be honest on this podcast because I don't think we'll ever get Tyler Perry on here. So I'm going to say what I honestly thought when I first – when we first were record, recruiting him – we were still chasing after the Max Aismas kind of guys, the Estrada kind of guys around his position, that point guard kind of shooter kind of guy. You know, when I saw him, he's got all the skill, but he was just not the athlete I thought that we wanted. Maybe I'm going to be proven wrong, and I, I'm, I'm imagining I'm going to be proven wrong because I'm wrong a lot, according to Matt, but if he if he if can come into our training staff, uh, what's the guy? What's our guy's name? Phil, Phil, Breyer? Phil Bear, Phil Bear, Phil Bear, Phil Bear gets a hold of him. 
turns him into a stud. I mean, Marquise was a a physical freak, and all those guys transformed over that summer with under that new coaching staff. I, I got a feeling that Tyler Perry is going to be able to do some numbers, and I apologize for everything I said about him on message boards. Mm, there it is. Um, here's here's how I look at this. I think he's he's a really good player. Um, I think it is going to be important that we bring in a true point guard so he can play off the ball. Um, I think that's my only I that's my only knock. I think he's a good player, and if he was going to be a point guard for us, he will he will be successful. But I would love to see a guy that can come in as a pure ball distributor and get Tyler Perry open shots off the ball. Because I think he's a shot maker. I really do. I think he's a guy that's, that's gonna, he's going to put up a good number of shots per game and it's going to be vital to get him opportunities like that. Right now you're going to have, you got Cam Carter as your other ball handler, and then you're going to play true freshman. You're going to play day day. I mean, maybe it like that's quite possible. You just don't know how true freshmen are going to develop. Um, but I, I really truly believe that it's going to be important to bring in an experienced point guard who is more of a distributor um, and can get Tyler Perry and get, get all these other guys, some open shots. Um, that's my, that's my two cents. I love those I two cents. Are, those two cents. are either of you concerned with where we're at in the portal recruitment process right now, knowing that we don't have that, if that is a significant need, are you concerned at all about where we're at? Knowing that also Keontae Johnson didn't commit until August of last year. We didn't even have day day aims until October of last year. So there are a lot of people who are kind of queasy right now about where things stand as far as the recruitment is concerned and where we're at in the process, knowing that the portal, I think we're in a dead period right now. And I think the portal has closed if you are not a grad transfer. So are you queasy? Are you concerned? Where do you stand as far as where we're at in the process today? Is this your segue into the rumors? Are we getting into the roomies? Uh, I would love to get into rumors, but I, am I a little concerned? Because if you look at what's in the portal, yes, I am a little concerned because are we going to be able to bring in the quality of player that was available early in the in the period, in the transfer portal window, so, so to speak, in this recruitment? I don't know. I don't know. The, the staff has to be on – some 3D chess, working around 4D chess, I should say. That 3D chess is just normal chess. Uh, 4D chess working behind the scene because we're not getting a lot publicly on what's happening. But compared to last year, I'm nowhere near that level of concern because obviously we didn't have a team. <laughs> now we have a team, but we're just trying to fill in the spots to become more successful. Because if you listen to what Tang said right now, it, I don't know, remember where he said this at, but his quote was something along the lines of 
the team that we have established right now is an NCAA tournament team, but we're trying to become a great cut down the nets kind of team with who he's trying to fill in. So I think that's if that's that's what every offseason is going to be like for the Tang era is three or four spots and try to fill it to become an even better team on what's already built. And it's important to note that with the NBA draft um, kind of closing a shop on May 31st, you're going to have a lot of guys who declared for the draft but also said, I'm in the transfer portal, that you'll have the capability to get a better indication and, and recruit on. Um, I'm not concerned. I, I don't even look at it as much from last year. Um, because last year we were in a point where, you know, it was finding the right fits and we're in a similar situation this year, but I don't think you have to rush it. Um, it is May. And once you get past that draft lottery or excuse me, the, the draft, um, deadline there, uh, there's going to be guys that we've been hearing on message boards and, and things along those lines that we're probably going to hear a little bit more on. And then it becomes a little bit more of a game with how the recruitment's going to go. Um, Julian Phillips, great example. Um, you never know I about think that one's, I think that one's I think dead, that one's, uh, I think that one's probably dead, but he's been lighting it up in the, the draft. But um, but yeah, I, I'm not super concerned. I think they're, they have a plan. They're going through it methodically, finding who's going to be the best fit. And, and yeah, they showed this who, year to do it. Who would be that best fit then, Matt? Come on, who, give me some names. Give me who you would want. Please, let's do Because <laughs> I'll, I'll go oh, first man. if you want, because I'll throw some names out there. I, you know what? I want to hear your name, Chef. Give me give me Caleb Love right now. Oh, my God. Uh, give me Caleb Love. Why I not? don't know. Why? I All these things that I hear about him, he's going to put up like 39 shots a game. I don't think he – see, I, I look at – He's, is he one of the best available players right now? Absolutely. Probably, yes. But is he the best fit for what we're trying to do? Now, now think about this. You want a true distributor to go along with, with Tyler Perry, but I think if you split up those roles of distributors because you're missing Keontae Johnson and you're missing Marquise Noel, that has to be – that had to be. I don't have the percentages in my face, but if I did, if I had a guess, I would say that was 65% of the shots taken were from those guys. You're missing a lot of shot attempts, let alone distributing and all that other stuff. You don't even have anybody to shoot the ball. Caleb Love is the best available, according to On3, right now, as it stands. Behind Hunter Hunter Dickinson and Max A. Smith. I I think Caleb Love... I think Caleb Love, because in my opinion, if he is reined in because Hubert Davis is a million miles underwater above his head, he's drowning at North Carolina, in my opinion. He got a very fluky national championship run his first year, and and even that year shouldn't have happened. In my opinion, he was not running that ship the way it should have been, and I think Tang can rein in players to make them fit his system while giving them leeway, similar to what Marquise Noel was. If you look at the in, the inefficiencies that Marquise Noel, the inefficient numbers that he had under Bruce Weber compared to what he had with Jerome Tang, 
it's night and day. And I think Caleb Love, he's not the passer, and I don't need him to be the passer. I don't need Tyler Perry to be the passer. I think if you have a team full of weapons that can all score, you're going to see everybody's ability to pass go up. Because I'll, I'll let you talk on this one, but Marquise Noel had to run the ship at, at as every aspect of the game. He had to be the best shooter on the floor, and he had to be the best passer on the floor. So I think if you bring in a guy like Caleb Love, it spreads everything, the wealth to everybody, in my opinion. I just I, – I, I don't disagree with everything that you're saying. I – this – he's a good player. He's a good player, but he just take, – he takes a lot of shots, and he's not like – he's not as good of a shooter as people think. And that's – that is not me saying it. There no, are a lot of you're right. Like there, if this guy is a surefire, like second best transfer available, why is it that bigger schools aren't going for this guy? He was he's going to a bigger school. He's currently crystal balled for Mizzou and Michigan. Those are two pretty solid programs. Now, now Bob, I'm gonna I'm gonna get now I don't want to spread, you know. KSO's reporting because this is not my spot to do that, but there's inside information that Mizzou has pushed him away because of how he treated them early in his transfer portal recruiting. So there, there's a no-go for Mizzou from what I've read. Um, he was committed to Michigan, mind you, uh, but the academics didn't hold up because, let's be honest, Michigan is a highly esteemed academic institution. Uh, so is North Carolina for some reason. I don't know how. <laughs> That's what I was going to say is, yeah, they're both kind of in the same or similar playing field there. But but I, I think that's one guy that I think would fit and help this program. He is very, very uber talented. You have the shooter. You have, like you said, Matt, he, we have the shooter already committed. The guy is like 42% from three. He's knocked down. If you got a guy that can slash and kick out, just put on some just put on some highlights. He's not very efficient. Go ahead. We'll take, I want to hear it. Caleb Love in 2021-22 shot 30 36% from 3 and 22-23 he shot 29% from 3. He went down 7% in his junior year. And yeah. one of the things that, that was lost from our recording last week was Ish Masood shot 41% from three and led the team for I'm just saying, like, I, I there's things there are things about him. Like I've seen him and he he shoots a lot. And yeah. yes, we need I, I understand the need for shoot, but you need to find the right shooter that's gonna fit in the front court. You're gonna find you're gonna find guys that shoot better percentage, but are nowhere near the athlete driving to the basket. I mean, he's a not a salty defender, but this whole team, I'm, I'm dead set on this team not gonna play any defense next year, unless we get to the second rumor of Ernest Uday. Do we want to talk about the kid? Because he apparently he shut down his recruitment. After the Duke visit, obviously it is the the dead period, but wasn't shit. that his primary destination though to begin with? What do you mean? 
wasn't that like his first choice was Duke, right? From everything that's been reported so far, was that Ernest Duday? If this Duke visit went well, he would probably either cancel his visits to K State and TCU, or just not—I don't know—just like commit to Duke. The rumor mill is swirling up around this. Uh, apparently, he went to Duke with every intention on committing, and Duke has the spot for him. But apparently, his—this is just what is out on the streets that his academics is also hindering his under the land grant school there <laughs> yes i mean you're going to, you're going to probably the they, they call it the harvard of the east duke let's let's be honest that's another smart... oxford of the midwest then yes so uh harvard is out east i don't know why i said that i guess yeah, it's so like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a but, second. <laughs> but if, if you bring in a guy like Ernest Uday to, he's he's a young per, he's a young player as well. Pair him with Jarrell Colbert, two very very hyper hyper athletes down in the post, catching lobs because they're not traditional back to the baskets kind of guys. They're kind of screen and roll kind of guys, but Ernest Uday is a thousand times better defender from what I've surmised. Uh, if we get this guy, that that changes everything for this team, in my opinion. Uh, a, a, a actual proven lob threat defender at the five to pair with Naquan where we can slide him to the three, because that's what I think the plan is, in my opinion. This is what this is my future cast of this roster is you have Tyler Perry at the one, a very efficient or inefficient shooter at the two. And then Naquan slides to the three, his more natural position where he doesn't have to bang in the post, bring Taj Manning up. Very promising young man that's been developing and he is a muscle bound freak. And then Ernest Uday, if we bring him in with Jarrell Colbert getting some you know, 15 to 20 minutes off the bench. That is a team that is frightening, in my opinion. If you if you put Caleb Love at the two, Tyler Perry at the one, Naquan Tomlin at the three, Taj Manning at the four, and Ernest Uday at the five, that's a natty. I don't give a fuck. I'll say it right here. That's a natty. I, I don't. I, you know, I'm not going to argue with you because we know that it's proven that your rumors don't don't rumor well. <laughs> but what do you want? This is what the streets are clamoring. I, you know, I know. I I feel like I'm going against every like I'm if Caleb Love committed to K State, I'm not gonna go pick it outside of Bramwich call. Like I'm not gonna do that because I think he's a good player. I have um, a feeling you would pick it. No love here. here. No love here. <laughs> oh um, Uday, I think, is one of those players that could change the, tra- the trajectory of the team. Um, the Duke thing is very interesting because I assumed after he made the visit he was going to commit right away. Um, so... If something happened there, 
I mean, I would imagine the staff is still going to kind of kick the tires on him if he isn't going to go to Duke. But if it is purely academic related, well, that won't be a problem for us. Um, but he he would be a player that I would push hard for. I, I really would if I was on this coaching staff. Based off of what I – this KU team this season had – there are a lot of kind of things with that team that – I think if they were able to kind of put it together a little bit later on down the line, and some of this I would say is probably is Bill, if Bill Self is coaching the NCAA tournament, are they passing Arkansas? Are they are they going to the second weekend if Bill Self is coaching? That's a question we'll never know. That's that's a question we'll never know. <laughs> but I think I, I, I agree. I think they will be passed. They would be past Arkansas. They would be you know a Final Four team, in my opinion. So I What do you think, Bob? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. That's so far in the past that I've just completely forgotten about it. But but your talk about Duke's academics just made me think, did, do we think that Kyrie Irving passed the tests at Duke? I mean He thought on. the world was flat for God's sakes. He definitely got through that <laughs> geography exam really well. <laughs> So, I mean, all of that is to say, who knows what the hell that, that Duke test looks like. But, man, we're a land-grant school. Our, our school was founded on taking in everybody of all, all types, all types of education, everything. So, come to K-State. Come to a land-grant school. Who cares what your grades look like now? I want to know what like... Matt's team looks like. I want to know what you think your next, team, next year's team looks like. Um, Lay it on me, baby boy. So the um, the rumors about Yuri Collins is very interesting. Um, That's your distributor, huh? So he's a player that I've also seen some highlights on, and he he gets me a little excited, at least from the distributor perspective. I mean, I believe he led the NCAA in assists this season. Um, he was, yeah, he did. Uh, Marquise was it's second, blue, right? He yeah, he played at St. Louis, um, and so instantly he's a guy that I think if he leaves the draft and stays in the transfer portal, we're going to hit hard from a recruiting perspective because I do think he will fit a little bit of the distributor piece um, from a shooting perspective. He's declined um, at least from a three point shooting perspective, so. Um, the best in his career, he was like a 30, 36% three-point shooter, um, but he was about 32% this past season. Um, but he would be a guy to me that I think would be a good puzzle piece if you then are able to get – if we were able to get Caleb Love, but Yuri Collins was in the conversation, that changes it a little bit, but then what's Tyler Perry going to do? You know, that – so – I, I just think a, a distributor is going to be key for this. And so that's my focus. I I don't know. Okay. My problem with Yuri Collins is I, I, I think he is an excellent player and he would fit that distributor role. Now, Caleb, can somebody pull up the stats for Caleb Love? What, what was his rebounding stats? Because when I think of this team, what I think of what Jerome Tang wants to do, Last year with Marquise, I mean, he was a, a good, like, loose ball rebounder. 
but what I think happens is if you bring in a Yuri Collins plus a Tyler Perry, who is also not the biggest guard, I think you're running the the threat of being out rebounded by every single team that you play. And four, that is four a, rebounds a game. I think he is a. I think Caleb Love is a, a a player that that can get you a five rebounds a night kind of guy at the two. With Tyler Perry, I don't know what his rebounding stats were, but I don't think he is the best rebounder. But I think what Jerome Tang wants to do is bring in more size and help with the rebounding. Because last year, Florida Atlantic absolutely poo-pooed on us on the boards, and that's what got us out of there. So to me, I think Yuri Collins would be good offensively as a distributor and might help the balance, but if it came to the Big 12, and we all know what that equates to, is absolute smash mouth, beat the hell out of you. I think your Collins does not fit the winning Big 12 kind of style that we want. Yeah, Tyler Tyler Perry's rebounding was 2.9 rebounds per game in 21-22, and it was 3.4 in 22-23, so this most recent season. Um, and we all know that that big Russian fucker from, from FAU yeah, golden in the kind of name is that Black golden. I'll never forget that name. So I think if we, if we bring in a guy like Ernest Uday, I think that sums up a lot of the rebounding because we had Naquan running a lot of five last year. Ish was not the most, uh, you know, uh, esteemed rebounder. And Keontae was our rebounding threat. He was our guy. If he if he wasn't getting the, going up there and getting the board, more likely they were getting an offensive rebound. So I think if you bring in a guy like Caleb Love, just adding more size, I think that's what we're looking more for. Because I think what fans are <laughs> not not calling you out, Matt, because I think it it does make a lot of sense. We were very successful with it, but being tied to the hip of a guy that throws around eight assists a game isn't necessarily how we have to do it. I think everybody throwing in to a shooter that everybody can shoot or is a scoring threat is more valuable than one guy that can get the ball to our second best shooter all the time, in my opinion. I don't have anything else to add there. The last topic I have on the basketball front is we we heard this week that John Higgins is no longer going to be officiating Big 12 basketball games. He's going to be leading up this consortium of Pac-12, Mountain West, Big Sky. There's like four or five West Coast, like Mountain West conferences of refereeing officials, and he's going to be leading this thing up. So I, I wanted to throw it to the two of you. What are your favorite memories of John Higgins and, and a couple of them come to mind for me. The first of which it, it's not even a John Higgins moment necessarily, but he was officiating that K-State KU game where we had the, it was when I was a student, it was my senior year. It was February 23rd, 2015. He was officiating the game where that student hip checked. Uh, oh, what's his, what's his name? Uh, Jamari trailer. Jamari trailer. Jamari trailer. He was officiating that game. Uh, and that just reminded me of a really great moment in K-State KU history. 
But I'm also curious now that I'm looking at it. I wonder if the Svi travel was a John Higgins game or not. That's exactly that, where I was going to go. That, that would check out. That makes sense. That's exactly where I was going to go is if he was there for the Svi travel. Um, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's where my head went is that, that seems like a uh, Higgins officiated game. Let's not let's not be or too cruel it? to the guy. He was he was an excellent official, in my opinion. He was an excellent official. He 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 had, but the problem with him is that he became the game. He was the star of the game. Sometimes he would get wrapped up in it, and it was his show. So should should a fit? That's that's the question. Should officials be robots? Should they just be there aimlessly? Wow. No person. Should they be no personalities? Just absolute. Because I think with guy referees, when they have personalities, coaches can work them. If they don't have any personalities, it's like, what's the point of like having the coaches whisper in their ear, like, "Hey, you've blown twelve fouls on us, and they're at four. Like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fly with them. Wow. Um, I wonder if John Higgins can bring in Doug Sermons to help him out too, so we can get him out of the Big Twelve. That 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 that's a good enough. He was not. He was not the official for the speed travel, unfortunately. Oh, that was Mike Stewart, Keith Kimball, and Ray Natali or Natila. Oh, uh, they still do Big Twelve games. Yeah. Um, which ones are those? I don't know. Ray. Uh. You know, it's sad. I can like picture them. I can, I know you know, that. for all, every all the Big Twelve games you watch, you know, it's a pretty like standard officiating crew. It brings up a whole conversation about college basketball needs an entire consortium of referees that are managed by one group. And no, none great. none better to lead the group than the guy that worked like six out of seven days every week and was obviously gassed for like half of those games that he would referee on Big Monday and on Tuesdays in the Big 12. I mean, there's no reason why those guys should be working the hours that they're working. And I'm not trying to advocate for the referees union or anything right now, but like, come on, you need to, you need to limit the amount of games that these guys should be officiating just so the, they can have a clear mind. If I was working six out of seven days every week in my own job, I'd be driving myself crazy. So that's all I have to say about that. But any any other final thoughts on John Higgins before we take a break for our advertisement for Spotify for podcasters? Well, I think AI should take over for officiating. Allen Iverson would be a Allen great Iverson. Guy. Yeah, he would not be great. not Allen Iverson, like more of a Chat GPT kind of guys. You know, was, or gir- or was, girls or girls. You have to be all inclusive. There we I don't go. Think, I don't think artificial intelligence is gender genderified is that it is it is not i mean yeah what about about what about siri you could change her to a guy yeah then it's not siri (laughs) what is it what do you call it do you say hey (laughs) siro siro hey siro and on that note, before we get into guys talking ball, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right. And for guys talking ball, we're going to talk about some. 
<laughs> Matt died. <laughs> We're going to talk about some conference realignment, which is the topic that got this whole thing kicked off almost a year ago. Uh, but some of the latest news with realignment, we talked a little bit about it uh, before on the, uh, you know, the dead episode, the ACC's magnificence, magnificent seven. We also heard news today that Washington State University and our old, old friend alert, Kirk Schultz, have put a freeze on all athletics hires because there's uncertainty about their revenue that they're going to have for this coming year. Uh, USC's athletic director resigned after the results of a compliance investigation. And we're finding out just this week that the Big Ten's media deal isn't even completely finalized yet. So I guess I'm just curious from, from everything that the two of you have read, what do you think is going on? Let's start with, I guess, to, to start it off, let's start with the ACC talk because there was some really interesting news that came out last week where I think it's what, seven members of the ACC are interested in essentially trying to determine the foolproofness of their grant of rights, or whether it is foolproof or not, and whether or not they can potentially get out of it or renegotiate it or try to find another conference. So there was some interesting news that came out about that. And Fireball, Matt, you gave a great synopsis before we lost the episode last week. So I'll let you uh, give, give the Reader's Digest version of that news once again. Oh, my God. I have no preparation for this. Um, uh, well, so last week, um, it was heard that there were seven schools that are entertaining via talking to lawyers to see if they can get out of the grant of rights that they've signed with the ACC that I believe lasts until 2036, 20, 20, I believe. 30s, yeah, okay. Um, I would have to Google the schools again, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was like North Carolina, NC State, uh, Clemson, Florida Virginia, State, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and my, Miami was in that. Miami, I think, too. Was oh, Georgia okay. Tech involved in that as well? Poverty um, doesn't matter. Poverty school. They're, they're big in town, so whatever. But anyway, so, um, you know, they're talking to lawyers, trying to see if they can get out of what is perceived to be an ironclad grant of rights. However, you get a – if you get a portion of schools to potentially commit, that could completely change how this all plays out. Um Obviously, the ACC and some of those schools we may consider to be better choices to come to the Big 12 than maybe some of the Pac-12 schools, or maybe you would say that there's a, a couple Pac-12 schools you'd rather have. But it does kind of change the outlook on a lot of this because it's been perceived for months now that the Pac-12 seems to be a conference that might be on its last legs or at least kind of fishing for some type of uh, life raft at this point. And then the ACC news kind of changes the dynamic of it because it then puts a little bit of uh, an, if, if Brett Yormark is an opportunist as we think he is, he's probably kicked the tires on some of these schools in the ACC already, maybe like a Pitt or Virginia tech, or I don't know who the hell else is in here. I, I'm trying to think. Syracuse, who knows? NC State, North Carolina. Yeah. So he's probably kicked the tires on some of this already. Like, hey, if you want to get out of the ACC, you might have an opportunity here. Um, And for me, I think the ACC schools, or at least a small handful of the ACC schools, 
would be a better fit for the Big 12. I forgot to even bring up Louisville um, versus Arizona State, Utah, you know, whatever. Four so, corner schools. Four corner schools. Um, so that was some interesting news. Um, we've heard a little bit more this week, but I, I would perceive this is not something that's going to happen or be pretty immediate. This will be probably a year two down the line. So how is the Big 12 going to react? Are they going to be more opportunistic or are they going to kind of sit back? To answer that question, I think the Big 12 would probably be more opportunistic just knowing what we know about Brett Yormark and knowing how he's approached this so far already. He has obviously already had conversations with those four corner schools that we've mentioned. Whether it's on the record or off the off the record or otherwise, you've got Brett, Brett McMurphy, Pete Thamel, all these guys have reported that there have been substantive conversations between your mark and their institutions. So one that would leave one that would lead one to believe that the ACC is probably going to fit into that as well. And, and if Brett Yormark's going to take the same approach that he's taken to date, he's probably going to go after those ACC schools or at least entertain what it could look like. And I'll go back to that same line that he gave back at Big 12 Media Days last year, which was he's only going to add schools that are additive. So it kind of begs that question of, if we're going to be adding schools for basketball prowess, Arizona has been part of that conversation. Gonzaga has been part of that conversation. The ACC is traditionally one of the better basketball conferences as far as brand names are concerned, because you've got North Carolina, you've got Virginia, who's had a lot of recent success. You've got Syracuse with Jim Beheim, which was a great big East school for a long time. And you've got Duke as well. Um, did I name North Carolina? I think I did. Uh, maybe you did. Yeah, sorry, losing my train of thought. But you've got all of those schools, and then Louisville as well, who's had a lot of really good success under Rick Pitino, granted. But they're a great conference from a basketball perspective and also from a football perspective. They've got a lot of fun schools that I think culturally would fit in well with the Big 12 and fit in with the geographic footprint. When you think about NC State, Virginia Tech, those are two schools that I think would fit in culturally. And then from a geographic perspective, Virginia Tech – obviously has history with West Virginia from their days in the big East. You've got Louisville from their days in the big East. Uh, and they were in the AAC for a short period of time too. So some of those schools, Houston, UCF and Cincinnati, they have some shared history with Louisville as well. So it's just really interesting to play kind of the mind exercise or do the mental gymnastics of thinking about what this could look like. We're not going to put some stupid map out there and, and show like, here's what the Big 12 could look like in five years. But it is really fun to think about what the possibilities could be if if this is a 20 team conference or something along those lines. Uh, but, Chef, I'll, I'll throw it to you for your thoughts on, on the ACC stuff. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah, it is. It is sad. I mean, we we, I think it it's fun to talk about conference realignment, and but it kind of just makes you think, where is it all going? Like, I we could say that the Big Twelve will be third. That that's fine to say that, right? But what does that really mean? Are we really bringing to the to the table what the Big Ten and SEC would do? Are we just going to be the best of the rest? And I I would be fine with that, but. What would that mean nationally? Because you hear rumors of like breaking away from the NCAA and it being a basically a two conference, two conference system where everybody else is just left out to dry. 
And it, it all it's all a result of money in this conference realignment, trying to find those two big life rafts. You saw that with Texas and Oklahoma, UCLA, U, UC, UC, UCLA and USC. Where will it end up? And it, it, it sucks that we're going to that system and will our games matter? You're seeing programs, like you said, with Washington State shutting stuff down because they don't have a deal. Nobody's willing to pay their conference to show their games. Will that will that be the result of what could happen to the Big 12 in 15 years? Once everything is kind of slowed down and the ACC's deal is done and the Pac-12's probably been dead and buried for God knows how many years, will we be next? And it sucks to even think about, but it's fun in the moment right now. Like, oh, what could we be? What we, could we be doing? And it's just very greedy. Art the 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 landscape of college sports is not going to be nearly as fun in the future. But for right now, it is fun to talk about. And I would love to see. I would love to see, like you were, like both of you guys were saying, bridging these gaps because. I don't know if they purposely did it. I don't think they obviously did it purposely, but it kind of is looking that way. If the ACC crumbles or the Pac-12 crumbles and we take what's there, we can build those bridges to those those eight original schools that were here, those Big 12, the Big 8 conference members, and find a way to finally funnel everybody together because you got West Virginia out there on an island, UCF on an island. BYU on an island and kind of bringing them together. So you you bring in teams like Cincinnati, but if you were to bring in teams like Louisville, uh, Miami, uh, or go out West and you bring in a Utah, you bring in a Colorado, you bring in those Arizona schools, it kind of just bridges everything together, makes it more symmetrical. What is it all worth? I don't know, but it is fun as hell to talk about. And I think, being the best of the rest is what the only thing that we possibly can do. So trying to gobble up and be third is better than being on the outside looking in and wondering what, where are we going to find our games? Will we even have sports ball to talk about? And I, I think some of the, some of the conversation, some of the reporting has been around your mark trying to monetize basketball as a standalone opportunity as well. And if you're able to do that, you can be third in bat or third in football and first in basketball. And if that money for basketball continues to grow and grow, who knows what that gap looks like? I think Matt brought brought it up earlier in the pod, but we don't know what college athletics is going to look like in four years, five years, 10 years, 12 years when the ACC deal is up. So it, it kind of begs the question there. There are a lot of, there's just a lot that's at play here. And there are a lot of ways that this could go, but it, it, you know, I, I think your Mark is the right guy for the job right now. I think he's doing a great job of at least exploring every Avenue to try to monetize things as best he possibly can to try to make sure that the conference is set up and the member institutions are set up for as much success as they can possibly have knowing how uncertain that landscape could be. I agree. I think it's, we're going to the pro model. We have to get that in our heads that the way of college sports, you know, that dream of being undefeated, being the national champion, that shit is gone. That ship has sailed a long time ago. As soon as they agreed to the expanded playoff, 
that shit was dead. So, you know, being a four-loss team is kind of appealing. Realistically, once they get the big, the SEC and the Big Ten get to, will they? Will the Big Twelve be the first mega conference? But obviously, Big Ten and SEC is setting up to be those mega conferences and playing those out of conferences versus Big Ten teams. But staying in your own conference and being a four-loss team will still get you in a twelve-team playoff. Because the top, the top six conference champions, as far as win percentage. Yeah is concerned right will we'll get automatic bid. the top the top six conference champions and then the six highest ranked seeds uh yep. yeah will be those yeah will be those but it's funny like nationally perceived will a team from the pac-12 will they even be here who the hell who are we talking about just Washington and Oregon? Is that all we're going to be banging for in the playoff? Or will they even be considered? And the not even to shit on the Big 12, but once Texas and OU leaves, you, you saw it even this year. TCU makes it in, and it's just papoo fest after papoo fest after papoo fest. They're just shitting on TCU like they can't hang with the big boys. It's going to get only worse. It's only going to get worse from here on out, and it sucks. But maybe we can get a Louisville in the conference. The one, the one thing I will say to that <laughs> point, I, I, you bring up a great point. TCU couldn't hang with the big boys in Georgia, but they they beat Michigan. They beat Michigan, and and if we want to talk about the Big Ten versus the SEC, I think we know which of those two conferences is clearly better and where there's more parity, at least from a talent perspective. From a talent perspective, the Big 12 can play with the Big 10, without a doubt, in my opinion. I agree. I think there's – but the the top-end talent, and Matt can attest to this as well, that the SEC top-end talent, the Big 10 top-end talent – versus everybody else is kind of just bar none. You're going to get those one-off games where TCU wins in a shootout versus Michigan every once in a while, but an absolute splattering like Georgia versus TCU or throw in anybody, Clemson versus Iowa State, or, you know, just those elite teams, we're always going to be taking the underdog role. And it sucks because it's that's just how it is. It's always been that way, mind you. But now we don't have the heavy hitters in our own conference to pony up and say, hey, we've got Texas and OU that can compete with these big guys. It just sucks, but I don't know. College sports is dying from a money grab perspective. These fucks are fucking with our sport, and it's just getting ugly. But for right now, we've got it to where we can compete be a top six seed if we win the Big 12 and maybe we could shock the world. Who who the fuck knows? But right now, it's the way it's heading, it sucks. I hate it. Wow. So depressing. <clears throat> you just you just killed the vibe, Chef. I'm sorry. It's just so it's it sucks, man. Why why are we doing who a, who asked for this shit? Not me. We had the perfect <laughs> conference. We had the perfect conference. Prior to everything, and then we just made it better in 1996, but then it just blew up because one of the teams invited has an ego complex. Like everything is, try not to say was, I mean, 2000 and think about like 2000 and when was 
prime sports. I mean, just 2012. Let's think of 2012. Like everything was where it should been. And even before that, like when was the Vince Young National Championship game? Oh five. Oh five. Like think of how beautiful that was. I mean, it was sports was just the way it should be. And will there ever be a national championship that can top that? Will you remember any national championship game like you remember Texas and USC? I won't. And it'll never get bigger than that, but they're chasing it and trying to make it like the NFL for some reason. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it makes me sad. The like the college basketball is just so much better. It's just so much better. They haven't fucked with it. They have not fucked with it. At Knock all. on wood. Knock on yeah, wood. Until they expand I mean, yes, you're right. Knock on wood. They haven't fucked with it, and it's bigger than it's ever been. The transfer portal's fucking with shit, but, you know, they'll work through that. But and, and changing, it benefited us. It's benefited yeah. us. The transfer portal, the way yes. that Kevin and Tang have both played the transfer portal, regardless of – we want to talk about landscape. We want to talk about players getting players, players getting paid. Both two coaches have done an incredible job of capitalizing on that, using the resources that we have to pay the guys that, that we feel like are deserved to get paid a, a certain amount or a fair amount. Like, and, and we're recruiting the right types of guys too. I, I think Treshawn Ward said it on, on three Ma today. He feels like Manhattan's the type of place where there's not a ton of distractions. He feels like he can focus on, on playing ball and improving himself to where he can get to that next level. And I think it's a lot of, a lot of it comes down to culture and a lot of it comes down to the, having the right guys who are, who are in those positions of power as head coaches to recruit the right guys. So it's, I, I feel like we're in the best position we could possibly be in given how things are, are changing and, and rapidly evolving around us. But it is, it is crazy. I mean, I, I think back to 1996 and I think back to how perfect that conference was and, and it was geographically perfect. We had great rivalries, both the big 12 North and the big 12 South and, and Nebraska and Colorado still hate each other. We still hate Nebraska. We still have Farmageddon. Granted, we've got uh, Farmageddon. We've got the Sunflower Showdown, but some of those rivalries are going away for for other teams, and and it's just hard to hard to watch that go, uh, which is tough. Uh, anything else we want to riff on? I mean, we've got a couple other news items here, but but I'm good if we want to call it. I'm ready, baby. You know, it's just I I'm sad boy now. That that really <laughs> fucked me up right there. That was that um, there wasn't an answer there. <laughs> There wasn't an answer. What answer? Yo, what? Uh, yeah, he's like, "Do we are we moving on or are we calling it?" Is or wait, I, said, we just call it? I said I'm good. I'm just really sad now. <laughs> oh, sad we are. Yo, chef, don't be sad. We, I mean, what can just thinking of the future, man? I'm getting old. I'm gonna die in the college football. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Yo. What are my kids going to be looking forward to when they can't root for Kansas State to get to go nine and three? And we're going to be worried about who Purdue's going to be playing. Chef, do you think about it? The way that I always look at it is if I have kids, do I want them to experience the life as a K State fan? Has it, it has been great, but it has its moments where it's like, kill me now <laughs> no 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 you're, you're looking at it you're looking at it all wrong because i think the guys that 
are these blue blood followers, they've got it way worse than we got it. Absolutely way worse. They might win a lot, but they're so dependent on winning that it's ridiculous. Oh, Jesus. What was that? I have no idea. Uh, well, we're going to go ahead and call it then. For all of us here at Cocaine Willie, thank you for listening. Give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified of new episodes when they drop. Leave us a review with your feedback, and we may start publishing these to YouTube. So stay tuned for some more info on where to find us there. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, give us a follow at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby on Twitter. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef, take us out. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We're all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's rock. exactly how that ended up. R.I.P. Robbie Triano. We'll have to have him on again. That sucks, man. I, I like the tweet, but I haven't messaged him.